Welcome all, this is Justin Lomnes, the Lunatic Libertarian Podcast, the place to engage lunatic ideas about freedom, building skill sets, encouraging individual tangible knowledge, self-sufficiency, and engaging all of humanity, regardless of political affiliation, sex, race, color, creed, pronoun, preference, social economic background, or any label, title, or category you choose to affiliate yourself with. We appreciate all the knowledge for the better of all mankind, and we thank you for listening to The Lunatic Libertarian. My name is Justin Lomnis, and I am the Lunatic Libertarian, and I am here tonight with a very special guest, Chris Emling, who is running for the Libertarian Party National Chair for 2022. How are you doing tonight, sir? You know, it's a chilly day down here in southeast New Mexico, but other than that, everything's going great. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, Like I ask everybody, uh, what brought you to the Liberty Movement? So, I probably be two catalysts for that one um back when I was 12 13 years old um you know i grew up in southeast texas and my parents were republicans and um hearing ron paul speak to uh that little spat during the debates between him and rudy giuliani on foreign policy got me to thinking but it wasn't really until 2012 um whenever i got my first check and saw all the taxes taken out that really got me thinking hold up this is all crazy. I don't like this. And from that point forward, through, you know, reading a whole bunch of things until about 2015, when I actually started getting on the ground and actually uh, working to uh, spread the ideas of liberty around. Okay. Okay. Well, um, considering how young you are and you are how old? I'll be 26. Uh, yeah, I can remember when I was 27, those good old, uh, almost 12 years ago, it'll be 12 years on March 18th. So uh, what would you say to people that say that you are a little inexperienced in life, not politics? Right. I can understand that, you know, and I, I've gotten that from some folks. You know, uh, what I lack for in age, I like for, I pardon me, I don't lack for, I uh, succeed in being somebody who's driven and wants to see uh, the party as well as other people succeed. You know, I've been doing uh, activism work for about seven years now, and it's put me through a whole variety of different roles. It's one thing that I have is, you know, thrive and work and wanting, wanting people to be able to do well and succeed and win. So just to get back to what we were talking about, about how driven you are, because I asked you about experience. um, Do you think that skill sets are the idea of skill sets are what bring us back to liberty versus being dependent? I, I love how skill sets have set me aside and have brought me independence. And that's one of the ideas that I bring when I talk to other libertarians or, or Democrats or Republicans or any uh, label or title or category that somebody wants to choose for themselves, um, I always go back to skill sets and how they bring us liberty. Uh, what are your ideas on skill sets and liberty? Well, whatever comes to a different set of skills and something, you know, uh, different people have 
different, uh, like, like, uh, have different types of skills, talents, everything that they can bring to the table. You know, me on the on one hand, you know, I'm great at say, you know, activism work. You know, going out to different um, of that nature, tabling and talking with people. Um, whatever it comes to uh, getting speeches and stuff, I can do some work on that. But you know, suit or anything of that nature. But I uh, the thing about different people having different skills is that we can all learn from each other to help ourselves out we aren't so strong in. Uh, whenever you can utilize your yourself, however, it is empowering. I totally agree with that statement. Um, now, when I talk about skill sets, everybody's mind goes directly towards like skill trades. And that's not what I'm talking about. When I talk skill sets, I talk about anything that can be applied to life, whether it's tying your shoes, brushing your teeth, or being able to overhaul the turbine on, uh, let's say, an F-15 fighter jet. Um, we all have things that contribute to our societies as a whole. Um, I, I think that um, when I bring up labels, titles, and categories, um, I, I think people get taken aback because everybody holds those identities so sacred. But when it comes to public policy and that ideology that we have to be so, so specific, do you think that's a detriment to our society or can it be a benefit? Cause, cause I, I, I do apologize for breaking in there, but can be edited and such. Um, you actually broke out there uh, right during the middle of Thanksgiving day. If you, if you could repeat that for me, I could actually answer it. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. It seems like we have a bad connection and we're just going to have to work through this and I'll, I'll just edit right. out what we need. So that's not an issue. Um, when, when I talk about Wonderful. skill sets, uh, I'm not talking about skill trades. We're okay. Can you, you heard me there? Yes. Okay. I'm talking about everyday life skills that get us through our everyday lives. Like, Everybody has the skill, uh, well, an attempt it to the skill or they met the standard of the government for the skill of driving a vehicle. And that is how you are licensed to drive a vehicle. Um, I, when I talk about skill sets of everyday life, it's how we reach our goal to get to bed and wake up the next morning. Do you think that... Um, skill sets have been abandoned because of the dependency problem on government. And do you think skill sets open the doors to Liberty? I, I, I think I could agree with you there. You know, um, the government did quite, quite a lot within the past hundred years. Uh, it, it's definitely harmed uh, people's, you know, uh, whenever what, have without some big force uh, interfering, uh, people are able to to do wonderful things and for their loved ones. And that's whenever you experience pure independence right there. 
and you have the ability to take control of your own destiny. And any skill that you have is something that can help out with that. However, the state getting involved, uh, like you mentioned, drivers, things like that, uh, it can really impede on that sort of thing. Do you believe that peeling back intra, in, 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 uh, if I can speak here, incrementally is a foundational uh, plan for the Libertarian Party versus complete obliteration of certain departments and stuff like that? Do you think that peeling back the layers is better or do you think complete annihilation of certain uh, three letter government entities is a good thing? I, I believe it's kind of a mixture of both, actually. You know, uh, whenever it comes to you know, that, that are obviously uh, a harm to society, we should uh, take a good look at it and see uh, what strategy to best take. You know, uh, I, for one, on the example, you know, I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment. I believe that, you know, wholeheartedly abolishing the AP would be phenomenal and a great thing to do. However, different things but would would probably have to get worse. You know, say uh, the DEA or the Department of Education, things of that nature. Okay. Um, I was talking about the Department of Education earlier uh, yesterday. Actually, I was talking about the Department of Education and uh, CRT, which is a hot topic amongst uh, political forums. Um, I really don't see an issue with CRT. Uh, I personally don't see an issue with uh, learning history. And now when I mean learning history, I mean by all aspects of history, you learn the American uh, story, you learn the uh, German story, you learn the Japanese story, you learn all sides, and then come to the conclusion of what you believe. Do you think that bias is something that has turned this country upside down? I do believe so, honestly. You know, um, sure, we're all human beings. We all have our biases and such. But whenever we let our own biases dictate things, like, you know, mentioning the Department of Education, whenever we uh, let our biases uh, a way of a child being able to fully learn and experience the world and, and satisfy their hunger and curiosity, that's somewhere where we have a problem. You, know, you were talking about the CRT issue and history. Um, I'm actually, you know, working on trying to get my teacher's license and everything. I used to substitute teach when I teach. Pardon me, substitute. And uh, whenever I was a student, I compete in history competitions and everything. So history is a subject that I absolutely adore. However, I think that you know, whenever it comes to the whole CRT issue, it's a great supplement to learning about history. You know, you get to hear the different ways that the state has been able to harm people. And whenever you actually learn about history, you can easily be able to uh, notice uh, repetition. I wholeheartedly believe that as well, because history is repeating itself currently. And when you can flip a political ideology because people are insecure in themselves and you know that because you place that insecurity by the regulations, barricades that prevent them from living their life and pursuing their happiness, which we can agree that 
everybody has a different definition of what makes them happy, right? Right, exactly. So in the pursuit of happiness, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, I believe is a direct quote, uh, that we need to agree to disagree with each other. But do you think that because society has lost itself on the notion of humanity, do you think that is a problem in this country? Yes, I do believe so. You know, um, what we see now is a whole bunch of people from a whole bunch of different walks who are starting to, you know, they're, they're showing, like, you know, on the top, their notions of things. Something that doesn't, that works and happy probably isn't the same thing that makes someone else happy, you know? However, uh, whenever it comes to those differences, we shouldn't uh, dislike people or hate people because of them. What we should do is embrace what uh, makes us all different individuals and allow people to just live as they as they choose to, so long as they don't. That's what you know the ideas of liberty are all about. And the way I see, it, I for one, I I don't enjoy drinking alcohol, but I'm not going to be out here telling folks who do drink alcohol that you know the they're a bad person and that they're uh that's something they like should be banned for example you know uh, that that would be completely abhorrent in my opinion because of my own philosophy it's, there people live a certain way means that we uh, dislike others well it's kind of goes back to the idea of live and let live correct right right exactly Exactly. Just because just because someone else makes them happy and it's not something that I enjoy doesn't mean that I'm going to go out there and just 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 be a jerk to them. And that goes back to the libertarian notion of the non-aggression principle, correct? Exactly. Exactly. The uh, non-aggression principle. It's it's something that directs all libertarians. You know, not bothering you if someone is not aggressing upon you giving you harm or anything of that nature, you shouldn't, you, sh- you should not necessarily, not, not really, you know, if, if you're not being harmed, why is this something that actually concerns you? Now, do you believe that uh, skill sets and the politicians that are running under the LP banner, uh, do you think that uh, all skill sets need to be improved or are some skill sets need to be improved? Or do you think that all skill sets are mastered and the Libertarian Party should just run as is? I think that we, uh, the Libertarian Party has a lot of room for improvement. You know, um, like I said before, times, you know, the, uh, the Republican and Democratic parties have held, held a stranglehold on American elections, at least nationally, since 1856. Considering that the Libertarian they have a 115-year head start on us. So instead of, say, focusing our time on infighting or philosophical debate, things of that nature, we should work on training, you know, whether it be communications training, helping um, our affiliates at the county and state levels, as well as national level, be able to communicate on the issues in relation to our platform, whether it's out training, helping folks be able to, Table or knock doors and 
voter or candidate training, you know, helping a candidate refine their message and be able to put themselves out there and succeed in elections. Be focusing on. Uh, there's always room for improvement in everything, and I think that if the Libertarian Party focuses on those sort of skills, we can actually start winning more elections. Yes, I, I agree. And I think that in the pursuit of elections, when it comes to the Libertarian political party as a political entity, everyone running a campaign should take the David Goggins principle and be absolutely relentless in the pursuit of winning. And Right, exactly. Uh, we, we're, not, we're not out here to be paper ballot candidates. We're out here to win. That we're a political That's our job. Correct. If you are going to run, you better have the gumption of your sovereignty to know that I'm going to do something for the people and I'm going to run on these principles. Right. Precisely. That's, that is exactly what I'm, what I'm saying there. We need candidates who are out there who don't want to like say water down libertarianism or try to appeal more to one side of the duopoly or the other we should be doing in regards to candidates is going out there and talking to people in their communities to them in a way they can understand it. And by that, I mean issues that they talk about at their dinner tables. I live out in Southeast New Mexico. A lot of people out here talk about things like gas prices, education, jobs, things of that nature. So whenever I go out with a candidate out here, we speak to them on those issues and how libertarianism can help them. Do you think that agreeing with 51% of what a candidate says can make or break a campaign? I, Just that I, 51%. I think so is... Hmm. I don't have to agree with Not you wholeheartedly. But I agree with you just enough to break that barrier that I agree with you a little bit more than 50% on your policy. I mean, when we talk about uh, national uh, political affiliates and national parties, we're talking on a federal level to where it has to apply to the entire country's population. And I don't think that Democrats agree with Democrats 100% of the time. I don't think that Republicans agree with them, uh, Republicans 100% of the time. I think that the mutual consensus of knowing that I'll agree with you 51% of the time just to give us the majority. Um, I think uh, this is the filibuster right now that is currently running our legislative bodies. Um, what if the people agree to 51% of that principle? They don't have to agree wholeheartedly with everything, but if they can agree just enough to push that vote in our direction, and I will say our direction because uh, as the lunatic libertarian and you're running for the Libertarian Party national chair position, I I, I think that we can agree 51% of the time on policy, right? Right, exactly. Uh, whenever it comes to that sort of thing, you know, uh, getting getting people to agree enough with us to uh, push it in the direction of a libertarian victory, I, I completely agree. You know, we have to uh, be out there. We have to 
be able to speak to people and be able to way that they can digest. You know, one thing that I like to say after uh, years of working on campaigns and such is you want to be able to everything down into a 30-second blurb someone's door. You know, if you can convince somebody in that amount of time, you'll be able to do it. Now, I've done many campaigns in the past, but I can uh, give, for example, my uh, most recent campaign, um, with, which was with Andrew Kennedy here in southeast New Mexico for the uh, Central Valley Soil and Water Board position. We were running against a 20-year Republican incumbent in a conservative area as open libertarians. And whenever we went to the doors, we talked with people. We talked to them about making the office more efficient, transparent, and stopping the nepotism that the uh, running against was doing while in office, you know, giving grants to his buddies and stuff while people who actually needed it. Uh, we're just being talked aside, and the people here were actually open to those ideas enough to the point where New Mexico got its first ever in a contested race. Now, it can also go other different ways. I was also a uh, volunteer for the Johnson campaign in 2016, and going around Charlotte, um, the Charlotte suburbs out there in North Carolina. Um, I was talking with different folks. Sure, the Trump people were all on board, but the Hillary Clinton people, they they weren't sold. Going up to them and talking about uh, foreign policy and things of that nature in regards to the libertarian ticket that year, they seemed to be kind of sold on it, you know? Um, it, it all just boils down to proper messaging. Whenever we go out there and we are true to ourselves, convince other people to vote for us. I think the American people are tired of bullshitters and they want people that are honest individuals that don't have skeletons in the closet because it shouldn't matter what individual decisions you make, right? Because exactly. we are all human beings. So when we talk about politicians and we talk about skeletons in the closet or maybe they're not doing what they preach, and um, I'll get back to that because that's a whole rabbit hole just in itself. But <laughs> when we talk about people that don't, that we're real people, that we don't have skeletons in the closet that maybe everybody else doesn't have. Uh, what is that actually proof? Because there are no saints among politicians, in my belief. Um, right. How do we get rid of the politician label? To say that, hey, I'm a libertarian, I'm running to be your servant, not your leader, not your representative. I, I, do you, would you well, agree with that? Yeah. I, and the thing is, whenever that, you know, in this day and age, I'd say that the American political system has to the outsider, establishment <laughs> Say, this guy represents me. To be some sort of crazy billionaire or be independent from Vermont, who's an, an actual job in his life, you know, besides being elected to the office. What it takes is someone in your community, you know, someone to go out there who wants to go out there and who wants to help out their neighbors through empowering them to make independent decisions to be successful. And 
think that that's where the Libertarian Party actually has an advantage compared to the Democrats and Republicans. Not many people elected to office. Last I checked, the Libertarian Party only has about 300, 350 or so elected officials in this country. We aren't necessarily viewed as politicians per se. You know, so I think that we need to use that to our advantage. We aren't out here trying to do the same old, same old Democrats and Republicans are doing. We aren't out here giving the same empty promises. We're actually wanting something different. And I think that whenever we go out there and we frame ourselves in that way, it's an excellent to be able to pull people over to our side and start getting elections. I agree. But what about the person that says that, well, the government has taken everything away from me because of uh, white privilege or uh, some other uh, social economic uh, invasion that pushed me down to this point of where I am? Well, uh, you can give an answer. If you want to go extreme, you could say, you know, well, without government interference at all, nobody would have any advantages over anybody else. But that's not what people want to hear. Here's somebody out there talking about, you know, privileges and advantages. You know, we live in, there is a sort of thing such as, you know, an advantage or a disadvantage. Socioeconomic group you live in, and it's, or part of, and it's, something disgusting and libertarians we are the party of individuals we don't want you to be disadvantaged or because of a position you were born into we believe that you as an individual your heart your life and your philosophy your insights that's what makes you special and what makes you you and you should be empowered by your individuality that's the messaging that we have to go to with uh the time focused on privilege and libertarians don't want to see certain people privileged or disadvantaged by the state we want to see the state get out of people's lives and be able to empower them whenever you go to with that message i think you could be able to get those sorts of folks do you believe that goes back to my uh, message about getting back to humanity looking at actual individuals as humans instead of these labels titles and categories Exactly. That's exactly what I was getting at, you know. Um, whenever I go out and I talk to people, I don't want to look at them as, say, a white man or a black man. I don't want to look at them as cis or trans or man or woman or any of them. I want to get to know the person I'm talking to. I want to know that person, their experience, to who they are, rather than sorts of labels that people put upon them. That, that, that's kind of what our ideas are about as libertarians. The value in the industry rather than the collective. In libertarian spectrums, I've been actually having a lot of pushback and I don't know directly who it's from, if it's from traditional libertarians or if it's from the Mises Caucus or another caucus, but I've had a lot of pushback on that message. Right, right, yeah. Some, some people want to keep focusing on the or some, but some people want to actively deny that there's advantages or disadvantages to different folks in society. However, I think that those are both the wrong ways of going at it. We should, ex we should say, yes, there is a 
something fundamentally wrong with the government wanting to put policies in place that can, or, excuse me, already have disadvantaged you because of who you are. We want you, you, not your groups or anything of that nature. We want you to succeed. That's where we have to come from on this thing. Sure, some people may not like that idea, but I think it's the best way that we could actually move forward on that specific topic. I completely agree. Now, when libertarians talk about getting rid of the drug war or getting rid of endless foreign engagements, because they can't be actually classified as wars because Congress did not declare war, so they're engagements. Right. Um, and there's multiple covert engagements that the U.S. Uh, normal common citizen doesn't even know about. Um, how do you think that affects U.S. treaties when we talk about getting rid of the drug war and how much our foreign policy is implemented across the world? You know, um, in regards to foreign policy and things such as uh, entanglements and wars that the United States has been in, I think that going back to the old Jeffersonian adage of uh, free trade with all nations and entangling alliances with none is the best way to do it. Um, sure, there is a whole lot of entanglement with the U.S. in the whole sorts of different ways, whether it be economic treaty, whether it be uh, military treaty. Or, heck, even international coalitions to stop drug trade. Yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of roadblocks there. However, we need to look at things, and especially in that regard, in a way that, hmm, in a way that we could be able to peel these things back a hell of a lot of chaos, you know? Um, we, you mentioned the drug war. One way that we could do these things is to, you know, say, accept a Portugal-style policy where we don't target people who have enough for personal use and instead criminalize that and then just go after uh, illegal traffickers. Pardon me there. Or, you know, we could point out the fact that Mexico has essentially stopped its enforcement of cannabis, and Canada has federal legal cannabis. The United States could easily legalize cannabis and trade with both Canada and Mexico once Mexico gets the groundwork started. And we could show, hey, if we could be able to cooperate instead of throwing people in jail over a plan, and we can do this and have trade and commerce and safe product for everybody, What's to say we couldn't do it that with, say, uh, or something of that nature? You know, it's, it's all about some, sometimes things you have to take uh, baby steps with to be able to push forward the entire policy. Yes, I would agree. Um, I will have just a little bit of pushback by saying that, okay, so we have cocaine, heroin, uh, Schedule Two drugs, which are because they have uh health and pharmaceutical properties now we can add cannabis to this list because we understand that it does have 
pharmaceutical and medical properties. And they probably have more pharmaceutical and medical properties just because of the endocannabinoid system in human beings. But that's another discussion. Uh, My thing is, is that if you can incorporate world trade with uh, the same ideology of, let's say, um, Amsterdam and where everything is decriminalized, you can implement safety measures to prevent disease, as in the uh, free needles program or anything like that. So you can prevent HIV, AIDS, hepatitis and stuff like that. Um, only to the point of ending government involvement, because then as you change the ideology and progression, then people can have their securities and their trust back into each other instead of putting all their securities and trust into a government entity that says, hey, if I'm here, everything's going to be okay." Right, right. And I understand where you're coming from with that. You know, uh, they think such as a free needle program, you know, I am 100 percent in favor of safe usage centers for people and things of that nature to where, you know, they have. Like, I don't like heroin. I've never tried heroin. I wouldn't want to. And I discourage others not to do it. However, if somebody wants to, you know, shoot up or that nature, um, they should be able to do it safely. They should be able to know what they're using, and they shouldn't have to resort to using dirty needles and pro- possibly contract a horrific disease that could potentially kill them. However, whenever it comes to, say, you know, the, the government putting up these facilities, I'm not necessarily a fan, you know. Um, I don't – I'm not in favor of, you know, a lot of state-ran institutions. Well, say. I would say that these would be uh, community institutions, not – uh, right, government right. sanction or state institutions they would be community yeah. institutions that's that's exactly what i was fixing to say is i would rather it be a community you know one that people uh people in their own neighborhoods put up pay for because they want to not because some government somewhere is telling them. it it comes from a place of care for neighbors you know not not a um i throw my neighbor into jail or let them contract horrific basically what I was getting at was I don't think that it should be like you know a state or a federal government ran institution say a safe injection space I think it should be community based I think it should be not a place of oh my government's telling me I have to do this rather coming from a place of this is my neighbor this is my friend I want them to be able to be safe in what they do rather than contract a disease or uh, have products that's contaminated or anything like that. It's, it's sure is an ideal individual, right? However, a lot of people still care for everyone else. And I think that yes. that independent spirit there, that independent spirit of libertarianism actually enables and empowers people to be able to care for and provide for those that they love or that they live near things like that much better than a government coming in and forcing them to this thing about helping others is whenever it comes out the kindness of your heart rather than coming from someone forcing you to do it that's where the true joy and giving comes from 
So hold, 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 hold on, Chris. You're, you're going to have to repeat that because I'm going to label that a lunatic idea coming from a libertarian because, oh, uh, I can take care of my neighbor and I don't need Big Brother to tell me how it's possible or the avenues in which are best for that individual. Um, you got to repeat that because that is an excellent, excellent point. Right, exactly. The point of it is is that the independent-mindedness of libertarianism, the individuality of it, not only empowers you to succeed for, your, for yourself, but also enables you and empowers you to be able to help the, your community and those you care about much more effectively than a government are telling you how you can do it. It's a simple Holy as that. shit, that is some real... That's probably... Um, that's probably one of the realest statements that have been stated on this podcast is that individual liberty allows you to have, and this is my interpretation, the skill sets to help your brother in human. And it, it, that's all it is. If I have more, I have more to contribute. So somebody that doesn't have can have. And charity, exactly. when it comes to Americans, Americans are probably one of the most charitable entities on the planet. And it may be right. forced currently, but if you were to take those budgets to the UN, NATO, food drives, um, I can name probably 3,000 organizations that receive federal monies from taxpayer dollars that probably I could... I could take those taxpayer dollars and probably commit 99% of it to the individuals that need it versus paying for uh, a building or paying taxes back to the government. Or end up paying just corrupt officials who sit around with their thumbs up their butt with any sort of the problem at all. Well, that would go back, Chris, that would go back to how much work are you willing to put in to accomplish a goal? And that's one of the things that I bring up on the Lunatic Libertarian a lot is the individual work that is dedicated to one's individual prosperity. And that's a lot of fucking work. And there is no other way to say it other than it's a lot of fucking work. Whether you want to learn any skill set, exactly. whether it's a new language or it's learning how to uh, downhill ski or if you want to learn how to ride a four-wheeler in the snow or a snowmobile or you want to drag race or you want to go to the moon or you want to be a fighter pilot, the dedication to those skill sets takes time. And it's an evolution of failure that exactly. allows you to master that skill set. And that's one of the biggest messages that I try and push on this podcast. Right, right. You you always want to expand your horizons in any way. And it's always going to be difficult, you know. Whenever you were a kid, you know, whenever you're learning how to ride a bike without training wheels for the first time. You fall over, hell yeah. It always happens, no matter what. However, we always fall down, we can get right back up, and we can keep on going. There is no challenge. There is no hard work that doesn't come without its reward, whether that's a new hobby, language, learning how to ride a bike or drive, anything of that, the, what you get out of get, obtaining a new skill, that is always 
percent worth for all the hard work you put into it. Absolutely. What is better, the risk or the reward? I would say that um, go for the I, reward. <laughs> I would risk everything for the reward. Look how many people buy lottery tickets. And I'll use that example a lot. Is that ridiculous? Well, I'm going to take the chance on a one in one trillion that I can hit this number to win this money. But if you look at any business model, I'm sorry, Chris, uh, I interrupted you. But if you look at any business model right now, it's to drive profits. What makes me money so that I can obtain more? Now, I always ask this question to libertarians also, Chris. Uh, what is the answer to everlasting human want? Answer to everlasting human want. Well, like, like you said, it is everlasting. <laughs> However, the answer to it is being able to believe in yourself, being able to have a strong work ethic, and having the drive to be what you want, to be able to get where you want to be, to be able to provide for yourself, or if you have a family or family and loved ones. It's all about the inspiration, the drive, and the tenacity that you have within yourself. If you want something, you can't sit down and expect it to get handed to you. You're going to have to work hard for it. And once people start to realize that you can get what you want, I think that's where the solution sort of lies, you know? If you're able to push forward, you can, you can achieve anything. Do you believe that comes from strife or being handed what you're actually needed to survive? If you are neglected, those survival attributes. Let's say we neglect you uh, food, but we'll give you water, shelter, clothing, and everything else. Or let's say we give you uh, water, but we'll neglect you food. Let's say we'll neglect you shelter, but we'll give you everything else. Do you think that human strife actually pushes, pushes us past our boundaries of comfort and allows us what? to achieve I, I can agree with what you're saying there, you know, um, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes, you know, you can be denied something. Sometimes you can have things that you absolutely need, like a, a skill that you absolutely need or something that you absolutely need to be able to succeed or live or anything of that nature. It's those trials and tribulations. It's struggle. It's not inspires people and drives people and wants them and makes them want to have more, to do better. To, uh, to achieve success. I'll tell you that I, I derive a lot of this psychological stuff from my experience in boot camp in the United uh -huh. States Navy. Because when you're denied sleep, you crave sleep, but then you adapt right. and overcome. We'll deny you calories because you have to understand the strife of not being able to eat in certain environments. Uh, we're going to deny you oxygen because you have to understand that 
I can control my breathing to the point where I can survive to this term limit, which of time is a term limit of time. And mm-hmm. I can still survive, but I have to know these boundaries of the human body to be able to survive everything that's being taught to me in boot camp is for survival. If the most catastrophic thing happens, I can survive because I adapted these skill sets that are being taught to me. But in order to abide by an ideology, you have to believe in it. Well, if the only way for you to believe in something is through strife, do you think that is the game plan of current leftists that right now is being touted as the majority? I think they are a very few minority in my personal opinion, but do you think that is a part of the strategy that is being implemented currently? Hmm. I I wouldn't say so. Like, whenever I hear the left talk, or at least, you know, what's generally labeled as the progressive left, um, a lot of what they have well, to say to me feels... It could be the extreme far, far left. So much communism, socialism. Oh, <laughs> Okay, so my my thing with those sort of a lot of time it feels like gimme, you know, like give me this, give me that. It doesn't feel like a sort of I want to go out and get like I want to go out and get that, you know. For for me personally, my personality, my own philosophy, anything like that, I'm someone. Whenever I want something, I'd rather have the joy of knowing that I worked hard for it rather than getting it handed to me. I absolutely agree with that. What do you think of people that say that if I came to my abundance, I'll just leave it at that, the word abundance. If I came into my abundance, uh, let's say it's uh, by backdoor deals, shady deals, or uh, uh, I, I was the in on an in on an in with a government official to get me to this position. What do you say to the people that think that there's no competition to those individuals? And coming from a former Democrat myself, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a very segregated city, a very violent city. Um, what do you say to those individuals that are told that, they're not good enough. Personally, never anyone said that you're not good enough, that you can't be able to overcome your situation and where you're at. You know, sure, there can be some shady bathroom deals out there. There can be people who are manipulating the system for their for themselves and for nobody else and actively harming others. However, just because those people are out there doing it doesn't mean that you can't push yourself forward and be able to be all that you know you can be. Just because you're somebody that society's written off doesn't mean that you can't you can't throw past it. I will say, Chris, you just did a status statement and be of all you can be. Environment. Be all you can be. Join like, the army. Well, 
Shoot, I have two army little brothers, and I I didn't even think of that there for a second. <laughs> but I it, and I'm not I'm not I'm not messing with you. I'm just saying that when you look at the ideology of the Constitution, when we, and I'm going to go into a military rant a little bit because the idea the ideology of the Constitution is we do, we will give our lives, no matter if it's an enemy that is foreign or domestic, we will always follow the orders of those appointed over us because we believe in the quote-unquote hierarchy and structure of the military. It's believing in the structure. It's believing in the ideology that allows us to achieve. Now, if I wanted to believe in the ideology of, let's say, a Sunni Muslim in the mountains of Afghanistan that says that the United States is the enemy or our friend, regardless of which side that may be, it's believing in that ideology that leads that person. And what I believe in the libertarian movement and the libertarian party is that we can actually address all spectrums of political ideology because it always reflects back down to the individual not the collective sum. And I think that people have been programmed, literally programmed, whether it's word association or we can, we can divulge into a giant rabbit hole with that. But the programming that's been implemented in this country that has just got done with 20 years worth of war has hundreds of thousands of veterans that are suffering. Understanding humanity is the key out of this bullshit and understanding that the founding fathers, if you want to call them that, that's fine. That's what I understood them as when I was growing up. They were the founding fathers, whether they were slave owners or whether they were just white men that didn't want to pay taxes. I don't give a shit about any of that. I give a shit about the words that are printed in hemp paper that says Mm -hmm. I have the right to life, liberty, and my individual pursuit of happiness, and I can congregate with whoever I wish, I can speak however I want, I can practice whatever religion I want for my own individual freedom. And if I want to, I can create a press corps and interview everybody else's opinion if it agrees or disagrees with me because I have the freedom of the press. Now, it may have not been in practice, but we're 200 plus years from the implementation of those documents. And people still don't quite understand that this is the freest country that has ever been created in Humanity. Now, we can go back, what, two, three, four thousand years? This is probably one of the greatest countries that have ever been created because it wasn't in practice. But those individuals knew when they wrote those documents that it would take time to actually get that ideology to be implemented into the masses' brains so that everybody can live in, quote-unquote, peace and harmony as an individual. 
because you're not supposed to care about the specialized. You're not supposed to care about whether you're gay or straight or a man or a woman or anything in between on the spectrum. I don't disregard people's ideologies. I just say that why do you care about the other person's ideologies in which you hate yourself? What are your thoughts? So, you know, going going on to the whole thing about, you know, the founding generation and the ideas that they put forward, you know, um, a lot of people in recent years, you know, they start poking at them for a lot of their flaws, but they don't understand that human beings are inherently flawed and everyone has something weird about them, to put it nicely, you know. You and I, we both have our own issues, I'm sure, you know, just like the founders, they had their own issues and everything, you know. Jefferson I'm a lunatic, was- I'll tell you that right now. I'm a lunatic. <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> like, like Jefferson, for example, you know, a lot of people sit around and think, how can a man who owns slaves have the capacity to write down that people deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that all men are created equal? You know, I, I, I hear that a lot in internet forums or whenever I talk to people who have a different viewpoint than I do. And, you know, sometimes a flawed individual puts forward an idea that works and makes sense and may be completely like the concept uh, that all men are created equal and have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That was a very very radical or as you might put it lunatic idea for the time period of 1776 you know however um whenever it comes to those ideas getting put into place you know we aren't there yet but those are ideas that we should all strive for you know that people should be able to live free and that they should be able to live their life as they choose and not as long as they don't hurt other people and respect those who live differently than them solely because they have the, the freedom to be happy. You know, we're not there yet, but I know that if we can push harder to make it happen. I absolutely agree. One of the things that I've told people, and maybe I should speak it more so that it actually gains some traction or uh, gains ground, is that this is, was supposed to be the melting pot of cultures. It wasn't supposed to be about being a part of the collective. It was supposed to be right. the, the place of individuals in which individuals can thrive and be the greatest individuals they ever wanted to be. I don't know of any other place on the planet that I can go and practice a Japanese martial art then go practice a Brazilian martial art that's adapted off of a Japanese martial art, and then go eat Indian food, and then if I wanted to, drink a, um, a Mexican beer, and then go eat Mexican food, and go talk with uh, some uh, Albanians about what's going on in Macedonia. Right. That, that's, that's the beauty of, of where we live. I... I... I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, this place should be the melting pot. I love getting to experience all sorts of different people's cultures and backgrounds and everything of that nature. However, I don't look at them solely as that background. I look at them as the person who's 
you know, putting their life story into a bottle of craft beer or onto a plate or into their martial <laughs> arts. No, it's not about, you know, pigeonholing someone because of where they came from, but it's about looking at somebody for what they can do. Absolutely. It's not about the color of their skin. It's about the content of their character. Exactly. um, What has been lost since I graduated high school back in 2000? So uh, you're, you're, you're probably what, 10 years younger than me about what I was born in 95 (laughs) years. That's what I don't understand. Or let's go 12 years. What has been lost in just a little over a decade? Because there are fathers that went to war back in 2000 and won and then seen their children go to war in 2019. Right. And it's, it's, you know, just just hearing about that sort of thing, it's just terrifying to me, you know, because I've, I've actually had friends who were those sons who went to fight in the same war that their fathers went to fight in. You know, um, I graduated <laughs> high school in 2013. I have friends who are Afghanistan veterans who are the sons of Afghanistan veterans, you know, and worst, complete health. You know, I've never been in the military. My, my personal hero in life is my great grandfather. He passed away at the age of 100 in 2019, and he fought in the war in the Pacific back in the 40s during World War and he never spoke much about his experiences in the war, but when he did, it opened my eyes to it opened my eyes to seeing that you know fighting with each other isn't going to solve anything; it's only going to hurt others. And I think that the whole idea that fighting isn't the answer, be it whenever it comes to things such as like a war or political debate, you know, I don't think that those things are effective you know and seeing people not wanting to look at each other they are and just want to look at them for sexuality i don't like you oh you're what they are this i don't like you yeah i i want to see people actually look at people for who they are like what you just said there and you know I think that that's the only way we can go forward is if we get more people to start looking at each other as individuals rather than wanting to put them down because they're because of a group that they can get put into and that goes back to labels titles and categories right exactly exactly it all goes back to that and it's, it's something that I really dislike. I don't like seeing people have to have to live their life like they're, they're this, this is what society's told them that they are, and this is all that they can ever be. Those labels, that is what can diminish so and just stick them in the same place their entire Rather than saying, you're you, you're an individual. Use what makes you you to have the drive to succeed instead saying you're not because you're a certain color or religion or sexuality or whatever you know these are two very conflicting messages 
And I think that the message of you're you and you can, you have the power and drive to be able to succeed and don't let anyone tell you that you can't, that's what we should be putting out there. I absolutely agree. And I, I'll, I'll push that until the day that I die because my children are not going to grow up. And I refuse to have them grow up in a country in which they are identified just by what they look like. What they look like has nothing to do about who they are. And I think that's one thing that a libertarian does agree on. Right, exactly. That is an idea, is that it doesn't matter who you pardon me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who you are or what background that you come from. What matters is that you're an individual. And that's something that, you know, I've, I've believed my whole life. You know, I grew up in eastern Montgomery County down there in Texas, just north of Houston. A lot of people who would rather um, judge people by how they look and just hold them rather than, you know, respect that person and look past, you know, something that's only skin deep and see them as, as their friend, you know? And my experiences of both believing in the individual as well as seeing that type of culture where I grew up. People to be able to look past what society is they are to be able to push for it. That's, that's what libertarianism is all about. And that's why I totally grasped the libertarian concept because it was about the individual, but you cannot apply any biases to these individuals, which are learned concepts. We have to step exactly. out of the box and we have to look at these people as, as only human beings first, because I think that ends up 99% of arguments when you get rid of this ideological traits that people want to argue about. Well, if you yeah. can talk to me just as a human being and only a human being, what are your biases against me? Exactly. That's what I try to go into any sort of conversation that I have or any sort of debate with someone else that I have. I don't want to just look at them on the uh, at something surface level. That's, that's shallow. You know, I want to I want to see them as them. I don't want to see some somebody the other. I want to learn about what they think and why they think that way and be able to tell them what I think and why I think that way and not be going into some big old fight about our social grouping or whatever. I'd rather us be able to come to an understanding, you know? Yeah, get to a general consensus where we can agree and then we can move forward. If we can agree to disagree on any aspect of any kind of portion of life, then we have an understanding just on that simple aspect in itself, right? Right, exactly. Most people, I'd say most people in this country have more agreements with each other than disagreements, but they aren't willing to look past stupid athletes, to put it bluntly. And that's why I constantly talk about skill sets, individuals, and people being able to get past labels titles and categories in which separate humanity from society. Now, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about categorical uh, civilizations a lot. 
And one of the things that I take out of it is that that is probably one of the biggest problems that we have in this country and probably worldwide is that they want to secularize every single person. But if you don't want to be a part of the mass experiment to where every single experience that you have in life is exposed and recorded, then maybe we can get to a different scenario. But everybody has their experiences recorded, everybody has their experience labeled, and everybody has their experience categorized on a social level in which humanity is separated. And one thing that we need to get back to, it doesn't matter which flag covers the casket, that fighting each other is not the answer. Exactly. Fighting, bloodshed, bickering back and forth, these are not going to solve anything. It's just going to keep the human race where it has been for the past millions of years, which is just stagnant. Sure, we've been able to make giant leaps and bounds in the realms of science within the past century and a half or so. But have we really moved forward? We're still out here, like just last night, Russia and Ukraine are fighting over nothing, and people are suffering because of it. Rather than wanting to talk it out, rather than wanting to try to see what makes them similar, they just want to go to war, and it's disgusting. You know, seeing all these images of bombs going off and people screaming this morning before I went into work is just, just terrible, you know? And it, 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 it's discouraging at times because it makes you think that we're never going to get past things like war or fighting or anything like that. But I have, I have faith, you know, that are inherently good at heart and that one of these days we'll be able to move past stupid things like, like fighting and stupid little differences and be able to see each other for who we are. You know, sure, you can be proud that, you know, you're of a different culture, ethnic background, or of a different sexuality or things of that nature. I want people to be able to be proud of who they are. I don't want them to, say, judge another person because of who they are. You know, be proud of who you are, but don't put someone else down because of who they are. It's, it's, it's stupid. And it's, it's sure, it's human nature, quote, unquote, you know, but I think that that's something that we can move past and be able to succeed as, you know, the human race if we're able to look past our, our surface level differences. Absolutely. A lot of people have called me a socialist because I believe in these things. And a lot of people have called me a communist because I believe in these things. A lot of people have <laughs> called there. me a far-right Republican because I believe in these things. And what I think doesn't really fucking matter. What I push as far as a libertarian ideology is have the skills for your individual sovereignty that give you liberty. No matter what power structure you are under. You can be under a monarchy. You can be under a democracy. You can be under a constitutional republic. It doesn't matter. As a human being, you have your own sovereignty in your own human self. And that's an inalienable right. And for anybody to tell anybody else what they can and cannot do is absolutely ridiculous. But when we talk about 
the drive. You said you have the drive. Now, uh, Joe Rogan talks about this a lot, a lot is the drive of an individual to get their face bashed in and their brains turned to fucking scrambled eggs. But the drive to be the best at a skill set, no matter what it is, whether you want to be the best blacksmith, the best mechanic, the best actress, the best model, the best whatever, or the best politician, let's say, it all derives from the want and the drive to be driven. Right. To achieve individual goals of the self. I think that's an ideology that's been lost on the American public. Because we've created an ideology where people need to be dependent on the government. And to which they expose every aspect of their individual life to the government. But they don't even regard it as such because they don't have the wherewithal. Uh, do you agree? I agree with you 100%, you know. Um, you know, talking about, you know, drive and want and success and wanting to reach your goals and such, you know. I've I've been doing political activism work, whether it be grassroots campaigning, going door to door, working with candidates, working on ballot initiatives. I've been doing this since 2015. Do you know how long it took me to be able to ma- both manage my first campaign and get my first campaign win? year i did not my first managing job for a a political race nor did i get my first uh win in a candidate election until last november you know and there were plenty of times whenever i wanted to give up on that goal because it was a goal of mine ever since i first started working in this this line of um, activism and things of that nature. It was always a goal of mine, and I got discouraged plenty throughout that journey. But I didn't give up because I believe whenever you set a goal, you got to do what you can to achieve it, you know? And that's what I did. I busted my butt for all these years, and last year during the election, you know, I utilized all those skills that I've learned, not just from activism, but from life in general, and applied them. And New Mexico got its first ever contested libertarian win, as well as knocked out a 20-year Republican incumbent out of office. And that's one thing for me that just blew my mind, and it just gave me extreme satisfaction. Now, that if more able to utilize that drive and that want that's inside of them, they'll be able to achieve every goal that they have, too. Whether it's, you know, making a new laptop that can compute super fast or something like that. Or it's like me wanting to manage and win a race. If more people are able to utilize it or to harness that drive and ambition that's inside of them, and if, they, if the powers that be were more away, you know, like in the form of like the state and things of that nature... More people. Uh, do you think that it's just to achieve your purpose, your individual purpose? Whether you can do, let's say, David Goggins did 4,000 pull ups in a 24 hour session, and he achieved his purpose in life just by doing that one thing. Do you think that people have disregarded that? 
just for the simple fact that they want internet fame and instant recognition and they don't have the long-term goal of actually just achieving I, I get that yeah I, I i i i think so in a way you know um in in the digital age you know in, the, in this age where the internet has connected the world you know a lot of young people look up to their favorite youtuber per se you know say some kid wants to grow up to be the next who i don't even know if he's popular anymore he was when i was in high school if they want to be that next person a lot of folks will just you know try it out notice that they're not getting any views on it and then they're just going to give up on it because like you said you know instant gratification but instead of giving why not hit the work grind at it? hit exactly. the grind the hustle too many people disregard and have thrown out the hustle you know hold on hold on hold on the hustle, according to what I was taught growing up in life in the <laughs> inner city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was to be the best street guy you could be. Didn't matter if you were part of a gang or if you were a pimp <laughs> or if you were uh, uh, on all facets of the underground life. It was to be the best, no matter what. But just remember, the gov comes calling to collect his taxes. So when I talk about liberty or I talk about political campaigns, I talk about uh, my experiences in the street growing up in the city of Milwaukee. And I always, always say that it didn't matter what color of your skin you were, what racial ethnic background you were, what social economic background you were. If you wanted to be the best at something, you put that fucking work in. And that's all it is. You got to put the work in if you want to achieve anything. And exactly. to achieve is not only a personal perspective where you don't need the accolades of any higher entity. You understand that you achieved just by the work that you put in. Right? Right. Right. I don't need, I don't need everybody. To, to see that, oh, I was able to win my first race last year. I don't need that. What matters to me is that I do it. I was able to achieve that dream of mine. That's, that's where all the gratification comes from. I was able to do something I set a goal for it. I didn't think I could do, but I kept working hard at it. I wanted to give up plenty of times, but I didn't, and I was able to do it. No, that's, that's and something it made that a lot you of feel people... fucking good. I bet it made you feel. Oh, good. I. You can you can ask Andrew, my candidate. I was hooting and hollering like a angry gorilla. <laughs> I was beating my chest. I was like, "Yeah, we won!" You know, that that sort of it. Great. Yeah, it's wonderful whenever you can achieve your dream, and I want more people to be able to do that. I want more people to be able to feel that joy that I was able to feel because whenever you're happy with something that you've done yourself that is that right but and everybody understands that yeah I achieved but just remember it's never by yourself it's always with a collective behind you because unless you got you may be the chief of the boat 
But unless you got six, seven warriors behind you to help you carry that motherfucker, ain't nothing gonna let that individual carry that boat because that boat will crush that individual. Just remember that it always takes the collective. And that's that's why I say libertarians always have a better part of the spectrum. Because regardless if you're far right and conservative or you're far left and socialist, it doesn't matter. As a libertarian, if you want to achieve, we will give you the avenues that allow you to achieve based on the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence, which were written hundreds of years ago. Hundreds. We may not have gotten there in practice just yet. But the key word is yet. Exactly. Yet implies that it will happen. The men that wrote the documents didn't, didn't even achieve it when they were writing it. Exactly. But they knew in hindsight, and they had the foresight to see this is the way to go. Because Precisely. they did own slaves. Because they, de- they did see the struggle. But what did they do? They, intim- they implemented policy publicly that said the general consensus is wrong. Right. Now, why is the general consensus the general consensus such a great thing? Why? I don't understand it. Just because a lot of people think that it's a good thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing. That the majority is exactly of voters the point. in Germany yeah, of nineteen right majority of the majority of voters in Germany in nineteen thirty two thought that election Hitler was the right decision. The general consensus was that, that was the right decision. But that was definitely not the right decision, was it? Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. the general consensus is not always right. Sometimes, mob rule is not always right, and that's what I call it. It's oh, hell no, rule. it ain't. Exactly. And, you know, just, just like Ronnie James Dio was singing about, if you listen to fools, the mob rules. And, unfortunately, that's kind of like something that's going on right now out here. Every Everyone just goes with the flow and what everyone else is saying. Well, as they complain about something, especially in the United States, on a $1,200 device that they probably didn't even pay for with free internet right. that they didn't pay for and sitting in their designer clothes and shoes that they didn't pay for. The thing <laughs> is that individual, and I grew up in all of the streets, I, and, and, and I've seen murder, I've seen rape, I've seen probably the worst of humanity can do to each other on the streets. But then I joined the military and I decided to see the worst that humanity can do to each other on a military level. And uh, I only speak through my own personal experiences because I have not walked or like I told Thomas Queter, I have not rolled through your shoes. I do not know how your (laughs) life has been lived. I can see the individual that you are now, but I may not have seen the journey. And I think that is lost on the American public as well, because they see the glitz, the glamour of individuals that have become successful, but they didn't see the journey in the which come made up. them they successful. They never saw it. And they never saw the come up. All they saw was the, was the end. 
That's all they saw. That's Correct. They saw the end game. They didn't see the journey. That is an absolute lost aspect on the microwave instant gratification generation that has become created. And I call it, it's a creation because we have abundance and we have comfort. We have convenience. We have an abundance of convenience and we have an abundance of abundance. And discipline is something that has been lost. Now, I don't know about you, but my mother always told me, you can call the cops anytime you want. Just remember, there is going to be a delay time between the time that you hang up that phone <laughs> and the time they show up. And right. what, what you take from them lessons, you can say, oh, my mother was an authoritative individual that hated his chi- their child. Or you can say that uh, she was authoritative, but to a point because control is something that is needed by the parent to the child. Or you can take multiple philosophical or psychological viewpoints. The thing is, is that what I took from it is that there was going to be a time delay between the time I hung up the phone and got my ass whooped and then had to come back home to the person that's providing me with food, shelter, water, and clothing. Now, I don't know how much that applies across the board. I'm a lunatic. I wholeheartedly will stand behind that. You can check my uh, 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 military mental health profile if you so choose. Uh, I'm a lunatic. But the thing is, is that when you experience life, I've been multiple different countries across the world. I've been to jail. I've been a felon. I've been homeless. I've had an overabundance of money and consumer items. I've had everything that I've ever wanted in my life. And then I've had everything that I wanted in my life taken away from me. I've tried to commit suicide. Almost successful. Spent three days in ICU. I can attach myself to being not a white or a black male. I am a mixed-raced individual, and I can say, well, I'm a veteran. Well, I can also say, well, uh, I'm a felon. Uh, I can also say that I grew up in poverty. Well, I can also say that I grew in a democratic state. I can also say that I grew up in a constitutional republic where I saw people that prospered left and right because they had the drive and the work ethic to do so. I can attach myself to any identity I want. It just depends on how much work I want to put in to be able to sustain myself within that ideology. And I think that people are short-lived a lot. They don't see the long-term goals in which things are going to be achieved. When I'm doing this podcast, I'm not looking at it as far as in the next 5, 10 years, Justin Lomness, the lunatic libertarian, is going to be doing great. I look into it that I hope that my children in 40, 50, 60 years after I'm long dead are prospering. Would you agree that libertarians need to look at this as not only a political game that they need to master, but it's also for the long term. And when I mean long term is that the Constitution Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights was written over 200 years ago. We need to be in that 200-year long term to that maybe. The next generation didn't have it so bad. 
then the next generation didn't have it so bad. But they were also taught the skill sets on not how to make it bad. Because when you have convenience and when you have abundance, you get people that think they are entitled. But people right. that strive always can achieve. doesn't matter who they are or what continent they're on. But they understand that the hard makes it better for them as an individual. Right. I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree and I completely understand. You know, you know, it's we might be the third largest party in the United States. We might be one of the quickest growing parties. However, we're still in the general mindset of, you know, the average American voter. We're still a third party. We're still put into the, oh, if I vote for you, the other guy's going to like the other guy. You know, we're not going to get the presidency over. Hell, we don't, we don't, we, we, we're trying to get that 5% every four years, but in the in-between time, we hardly ever put any effort into our local and state legislative level offices, you know, ones where you actually go out into the community and spread the word, you know. I might not see a libertarian president <laughs> in my lifetime, but I hope to God that I do. However, I think that putting the right building block and put building blocks in place and um, instituting the right culture is the right way to make this party last into the future. I see plenty of libertarian presidents in the future, may not be the near future, but I think that our ideas are timeless. I think that our ideas can appeal to the youth whenever, you know, they're actually spoken to the youth. <laughs> I didn't find out about libertarianism until 2012. That was whenever I was 17 years old, you know? But I think that, you know, whenever we realize that, you know, it may not happen tomorrow, but the work we are doing is still meaningful and it still means something, that's what's going to help push the party forward. Whenever we're out here wanting to win, you know, sure, yes, winning the presidency is an excellent goal. Getting that 5% major party staff, that's an excellent goal as well. However, we can't reach those goals without hitting a few first, such as getting our local affiliates more well-known in their communities and actually making them competitive, and in some cases, the opposition. Like, you know, the opposition to whoever do off the parties in charge in that area, you know? That's, that's, that's why I talk so much. Like, if you look through my, my Facebook, through my social media, I talk so much about local activism. Because you can't you can't put a steeple on top of a church if you don't have the church at the bottom first. You know, you, ha you have to build your way up. And building up in the short term to achieve exactly what the Libertarian Party has to do. We can't win the presidency if we can't win in our neighborhood. That's an absolute fact. And one of the things that I've brought up in Libertarian discussions is being able to use the duopoly's money against them, being able to shadow Democratic and Republican candidates with a Libertarian candidate. Show up at their damn events. You didn't put it yeah. into it. Show up at their events. Talk to their constituents and be like, hey, hey, do you know I'm their competitor? I'm running as a Libertarian. You want to hear what I got to say? Because 
He's just, or she is just up there talking. I'm talking to you. What are your concerns? And be able to use that platform to be able to drive liberty into the hearts and minds. Yet again, that's another military tactic. I don't understand why I think that way. Maybe it's because of all the time I spent in the military. But anyways, um, being able to use your enemies' benefits against them. Understand that this is a war of attrition. We're playing checkers, not chess. That understanding that right. as a libertarian, you are the power to put everybody else in your community back into power over the state that tells you what you can and what you cannot do. But they'll say in the same sentence that you're an individual and you have the liberties according to the Constitution, but I've already written 200 years worth of law that is a barricade for your life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But yet again, vote for me. Exactly. You know, I, I talked a lot about, you know, what what uh, myself as the campaign manager, my candidate, and our friends who helped out on our campaign, what we did. You want to know what our opposition did? Because they felt so empowered by being the incumbent in this, elect- in this past election. You know what they did? Absolutely nothing. The most they did in the realm of campaigning was, was you know, it was our opponent. They sent their group to rip down our flyers that we posted up on every street corner in town. They didn't do jack. They didn't have a Facebook page. They didn't have nothing. They were so comfortable with being a 20-year incumbent that some person who just decides to, to run for office to make a change wasn't going to get nowhere. However, what we did instead, we printed off, we printed off flyers. <coughs> Excuse me there. We went to every post office in Artesia, New Mexico, as well as all the surrounding villages that fell within our district, and we put up flyers. We put flyers on every street corner signs and everything like that, light posts. We put out, if I'm not mistaken, 500 door hangers. And we talked to nearly, damn near every person doors and everyone we came across in public about this race. School and water board race wasn't even publicized as much as the school board race was or the uh, or the uh, tax initiatives were uh, that were on the ballot, you know, to raise property taxes for the school district or whatever. Our hard work actually made us the most voted for race in the northern part of the county. We tripled the voter turnout. We only did it for pennies on the dollar, too. We didn't even have to spend that much. And we still, through our hard work, were able to win. And the, our opponent was so caught up in thinking he had the advantage because of being a long-term incumbent that he'd just be able to win just by sitting on his butt doing nothing. And we showed him that, what for. Yeah, that's arrogance. And yet exactly. it's the same arrogance when Nancy Pelosi is giving a press conference and says, well, we represent them. No. As a representative, which you are not, you are a servant. There is no other exactly. word for any politician other than servant to the people right. in the United States. Yeah, you're not be to there to be a proxy for somebody else. You're there. You, I, in my 
you have someone holding office, that person up there for themselves or to act like a stand-in for me. They are there to do something good on my behalf, if that makes sense, you know, to serve, serve their community, help their communities. However, most of these people in the office already, particularly, you know, Democrats are so arrogant and power hungry for the most part that they've lost sight of that sort of thing. And I think that that is the, the, the crucial weakness that libertarians can easily exploit to get electoral victory. I think there's a lot of things libertarians can exploit, but they have to oh, understand yeah. <laughs> the, the quote-unquote hustle. And they have yes, to understand the, the quote-unquote game. Because right. coming from a street level, if you were uh, the third-level dealer on the block, you let the two other dealers get to a point to where they're competing against each other to the point where they don't even notice you and you come in and sweep everything just because they've eliminated your competition for you, one. They've supplied you with your consumer, two. And they gave you the benefactor of now, uh, well, I have no other um, distributor for my product. So the supplier goes, well, shit, you're the only one left. Let's give everything to you. And then you prosper. Knowing how things right. work and understanding how the game works, and you can apply this to all levels of any industry. Uh, there are a number of classes on businesses and, uh, and so on and so forth and capitalism and, and yada, yada, yada. But the thing is, is that understanding the game, and this is one thing Tupac said back before he was killed at only 26, is learning the game is the biggest part of life. Because yes. life is a game. And once you understand exactly. how to play the game of life, you put yourself in such a position to be prosperous on so many different levels, whether it's, well, shit, I didn't come from nothing, but now I have the access to a private jet, a millionaire's uh, bank account, and I can access any information or any individual person just based on my status in life. That makes you a very powerful individual. Uh, Chris, can you tell everybody who your competitors are this year in uh, for that Libertarian National Chair? Of course. Um, uh, I am currently running against uh, three different uh, opponents in this chair race. Uh, one is uh, Tony DeRazio. He's the uh, New York State LP Secretary. Um, there's also uh, Angela McArdle. She's the uh, chair of the Los Angeles LP. And there's also Steve Dosbuck who is uh, both Joe Jorgensen's campaign manager, as well as a former LNC chair himself back in the early 90s. And uh, do you feel that the arguments that you have for the Libertarian Party, um, uh, quote-unquote Trump, any of uh, your competitors currently? I think it could, you know, I, I love and respect all of my opponents, you know, I don't hold you know, malice towards them. However, I do think that uh, my vision of building up the bench, you know, by some helping out our local and state affiliates and putting a focus on getting more wins in people's communities. I think that that's the message that can actually push, you know, instead of sitting around and, and fighting all the time, you know, instead of 
debating philosophy all the time. If I wanted to be part of a philosophy debate club, I I wouldn't be active in a political party. That's not what I'm here for. What I am here for is to get our ideas and our platform out to the people and to get these people wants to vote for them and wants to see them win. Because in at the end of the day, the Libertarian Party platform is much better for the average American than the Democratic and Republican one. All we have to do is actually get out there into our communities and talk about them. We need to empower our local activists by giving them the help that they need, advice, give them pointers, whatever it is. We need to inspire them. You know, leadership isn't about sitting around gathering up clouds. Leadership is about inspiring and motivating others to do better than the leader could ever dream of doing themselves. That's what a leader's job is. And that's the type of leadership role that I want to take at the, at the Libertarian Party. I want to be the leader who is out here, who's always available as much as I can be to help out any sort of activists within our party to be able to make sure that them, their affiliate, their candidate can succeed. I don't want to, I want to focus on which that's what I'm here for. Well, that sounds like that we need to reach a mutual agreement with other individuals in the Libertarian Party. And I am all about creating a consensus of political power. And just like I told Jack Casey, I told him that you have to create power to infiltrate the government to make your party no longer uh, necessary. But that is a long term goal. And in order exactly. to, my idea is that you have to peel back all these layers, get rid of the bureaucracy and start gaining wins on the general population just by spreading liberty as an achievable goal not just a goal but it's achievable well if i can get all these barricades and everything out of my way then i can achieve well shit that's 90 percent of the left's message the right says that right you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps well shit i'll do that if you get rid of all these damn barricades that say this that and the other to where I can't achieve. But we still exactly. have successful stories within the system. And that's where the Democrats and Republicans run, is in those success stories. But when you look at the 80% failure rate and the dependency on their policies to make them achieve, I think most people are on the spectrum of, I need to get out of this duopoly. I need to be able to achieve for myself. Which political party is out there that is going to do that for me? And I see the Libertarian Party right now having a shitload of momentum to be able to achieve on a national and on a local scale. I completely agree with that. You know, our platform speaks to people. People are tired of seeing Democrats and Republicans talk out of one side of their mouth or the other, saying, oh, this, this, and this, and then putting into place policy that is not only indistinguishable from the other duopoly party, but actively hurt people. What we have to do as the Libertarian Party is have a strategy to, to, to weaponize that angst against the duopoly. You know, we have to, we have to take our messaging, I think, at, both at county, local, and 
pardon me, county, state, and national affiliate levels. And we need to talk about the issues that are affecting the communities at those levels, but relate them in a way to how libertarianism can help them. We need to go out into our bust our asses and knock doors, put up flyers, hold barbecue events or whatever, and get our candidates elected. Whenever people can see that in their community, a libertarian got elected and is actually for them, that actually opens up the door to them voting for us for, say, you know, state legislature, Congress, hell, maybe even the president. You know, it doesn't start at the big top goal overnight. What we have to do is focus on building a name for ourselves, building a brand for ourselves, and being able to spread our message effectively and in ways that can help us win. Right now, I don't think the Libertarian's doing, the Libertarian Party's doing that. That's, that's the whole reason why I'm running. I've been a Liberty activist since, 20, for, since 2015, back when I was 20 years old. I'm going to be 27 now, and I don't feel like the Libertarian Party has, has moved forward at all in, in, in that short seven-year time span. I'm running well, because I want to see in the next seven years, hell, I want to see by 2030, by, pardon me, 2035, I want to see a Libertarian elected in every single U.S. state and territory. That's my goal. That's what I want to see. And that I think that if we focus local areas, focus on refining our branding and messaging, we could get there. I think it's a, a feasible goal, if you ask. I think it's completely feasible. And I think it's completely feasible because you have the lunatic libertarian that's backing everybody up, ready to steamroll and stalk other politicians and say, hey, why aren't you debating my guy or my gal or exactly. my... Uh, whatever title or category they choose to identify themselves as as far as their uh, sexual orientation or identity. The thing is, is that, hey, why aren't you debating them? Well, it seems to me like you're a little scared. So uh, exactly. maybe their Call ideas out on apply to you and it applies to everybody else that we're talking to, but your policy does not apply. One of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is to make sure that libertarians speak their policy because that's what speaks to the individuals who go out and cast their vote. And there are a lot of pissed off people. And Biden said that, well, black people don't even know how to get on the Internet. But we absolutely know that black individuals, African-American individuals, uh, BIPOCs, uh, American indigenous uh, descendants of slaves, however you want to say it, it doesn't matter to me. You're a human being. You have the ability in the United States because of veterans who went out there and said, I will swear an oath and give my life to the Constitution of this country that says that everybody has the right to the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And the foresight of the founding individuals who wrote those documents that say, hey, we may not be practicing it now. But we will get there in the future. Just remember that. But don't ever let this come into play. We see this, quote unquote, coming into play very much in our lives now. Uh, Chris, we are coming up on probably uh, two hours now. Um, I love this conversation. I think it's great. 
tell everybody where they can find you, social media, email. Let everybody know where they can find Chris Emling for the Libertarian National Chair. Of course. If you want to find Facebook's your preferred uh, method of looking for me on social media, you can easily find me at facebook.com slash Emling for LNC. M-L-I-N-G, number four, LNC chair, as well as on Twitter with the handle at Emling, Y-A-B-O-Y-E-H-M-L-I-N-G. Um, in person, I am planning on showing up to the uh, New Mexico State Convention here pretty soon. And I hope that if, you know, you're, you're a listener out here in, in New Mexico, that you show up and you can come say hello and we can talk about uh, what matters to you and everything. And if you follow me on both of those platforms, you'll be able to see me do a monthly Q&A until the uh, Rito convention. You'll be able to message me directly. And all of my personal contact information is on there. That Facebook page, you'll see my phone number. You can feel free to text me and it's directly to me and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. That is excellent. Here's an individual that is not scared, is giving out all his personal information to everybody. You can go out <laughs> and see him in public. You can interact with him via text message, via Facebook, through a Q&A session every time. And this person seems to be somebody that you might want to be able to follow if you are a follower, but maybe you can <laughs> coexist with the leaders who are leading the liberty movement and trying to push this forward to where it's an actual revolution and it's never going to stop. I think movements stop once they grant, they get to the, a certain segment. I like the term revolution because it constantly keeps on turning. And right. with that, I am Justin Lomnis, the lunatic libertarian with my main man, Chris Emling. I really appreciate you coming on my podcast I appreciate all my guests. I appreciate all my listeners. Liberty is out there for you. Get the skill sets, get the mindset, and get the motivation to do for oneself because you only got one timeline in this current present situation. You only get one. There may be other timelines offered to you after this one. I don't know. I can't predict the future. I'm not a god. I'm not a goddess, and I'm not the god, and I'm not the devil. So, just remember that everybody has an opportunity to build themselves in this country. I don't think anybody is at a disadvantage. I think everybody has the opportunity just as everybody else. It's just how much work you're willing to put into yourself to achieve those goals. Thank you, Chris, for being on my podcast. I am Justin Lomnis, the Lunatic Libertarian, and 